Hello and welcome to the Animation Communication Podcast, your source for discussion about animation, film, fandom, and more. So please join your host, I Love Kim Possible a Lot, or KP, and Lauren Kizich, the Abbey Roadie, for today's discussion. If you like what you hear, please remember to support by giving a like, a follow, as well as subscribing to the main I Love Kim Possible a Lot channel on YouTube. Spread the word and keep being a part of a great community. This episode contains some mild adult language. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Animation Communications Podcast featuring I Love Kim Possible a Lot. And uh, the voice that you are hearing in your ears right now is Lauren, a.k.a. the Abby Rohde. Uh, and today we have a very special guest joining us today. Uh, it's Kira Buckland, everybody. If you don't know her, where have you been on the internet all these years? <laughs> but, um, <laughs> and also if you have not been watching anime or been playing video games, I mean, she's, she's kind of been a presence for a long time, which is awesome. So it's, it's very exciting to have her on board today. So welcome, Kira. Welcome. Or uh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> I was going to be like, I don't anime, but like Nick tells me how much of a big deal you are. So I believe him. <laughs> but like, well, I think I think he's a little bit biased from being my friend. You know? <laughs> um, for context, um, Nick is one of our um, mutual friends that we know each other through. But yeah, I've like I've known Kira for a couple of years on and off. And you were an OG pony person back in the day, right? I feel like, like longer than that. I feel like I've known you for like seven Six, six, seven years at oh this God. point, maybe more. We're wow. old. Oh man, yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to turn thirty. I know you're already thirty, but like, I just, I don't want to get old. Not that thirty's old. You know, <laughs> but honestly, how did you two 30s, meet? <laughs> I think thirties are better than twenties. It seems like thirties, yeah. at least you have your shit figured out a little bit more than twenty. Like twenty, I feel like you're just throwing yeah. stuff at the wall, and you're just like, will I make money? Will I be able to pay my rent in L.A.? Who knows? So, yeah, twenties is like trying to figure out what exactly you're gonna do in life and who you are. I feel like, and thirties is kind of like, okay, you sort of like have a plan. You sort of have your life a little bit more figured out than you did before. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's kind of. I think that's the point me and Lauren are reaching as far as just kind of like figuring out what like area of the industry like. And for people listening, like you don't have to figure it out when you're in your late twenties, but like you kind of have to just like learn what you're good at and just develop that skill eventually you know over time words are hard um but yeah like <laughs> you know it's it's all like societal expectations and like no one's judging you if you're 30 and you're still living at home as long as you just like have a general ambition as far as what you want to do and have a plan as far as how you want to do it that's like you know that's just a good recommendation not that we're judging any scrubs out there um i'm gonna stop being mean for a little <laughs> bit so kira um why don't you tell us because um a little bit about the very beginning because i remember um before i was really involved with the fandom i remember you were in the the brony documentary as well as um you were in uh you were twilight in pony.mob right yeah that was throwback <laughs> <laughs> so how How'd you get involved in in horse stuff, I guess? Um, honestly, it kind of was by accident. How I've gotten to a lot of the 
things that I've been into in the past were just sort of, you know, a friend showing it to me one day and me kind of getting hooked on something. I guess you could say I have sort of like, um, I don't know, maybe like an addictive personality where I get into something and I get really into it, which is, um, I guess, kind of the thing that I've been really into for the past five years or so has been JoJo's Bizarre Adventures. So I've been like mm-hmm. really, really obsessed with that and stuff. But um, yeah, I think um, back in the MLP days, it was kind of like a friend just showed it to me or something was like just like jokingly like hey you sound kind of like the main character or whatever and there were some auditions or something going around for like a big project at the time and I think I just tried it and people like it kind of blew up and I wasn't really expecting that because I mean even long before that I'd just been doing a bunch of stuff on the internet you know just like um random flash animations mostly like video game parodies things like that um Back when I first started doing this kind of stuff, it the landscape was very different with like online voiceover and stuff like that. It was um a lot of times the animators either just did their own voices or got like their random friends or family members. And it wasn't something that people could really do as like getting paid for or anything like that. I mean, obviously people got paid to do voiceover, but it was on like official legit stuff. And mm-hmm. I didn't live in LA at the time and I was, you know, just sort of doing whatever I could to kind of get practice, I guess you could say. Um, you know, now I feel like there's so many opportunities. There's like paid indie games. There's like all this stuff that people can do. It was just like when I started, I kind of had to like figure everything out, I guess. But now I help run a community for other people who are interested in getting into that type of work. That's awesome. Yeah, that's that's really neat. And I think, I mean, like just observing it as a producer kind of role for the last couple of years, it's changed from like people, you know, like you said, people just having like, you know, like Joe Bob, like who, you know, is my roommate or whatever, just to be in this voice because I want a different voice than myself versus like, you know, people online making demo reels for, you know, IPs that they don't even own just for fan projects and, like, potentially getting paid some, you know, it depends on the project, obviously. Um, And I think it's just, I think it's great for people that want to, like, maybe who aren't in LA or, you know, maybe are not in the physical location to be, to be networking and to be, like, getting into, I say legitimate things, but everything's kind of legitimate, but, you know, giving words are hard um you know just being able to do um you know something from the convenience of just not being like quite there yet it's like like to develop your skill eventually or you know right or like stuff that you can put on a resume or something you know because um Mm -hmm. a lot of these like original projects like um indie games and kind of like online independent animations and stuff like that people might do that to help somebody out but then they can use it as kind of like something you know like hey I did this here's some work experience or whatever exactly yeah because nowadays in a in the era where everybody there's so many uh creators you know that they can literally hold run a their own little business entirely through you know a youtube channel or through different websites where they can air their own shows, their own content. And so, yeah, it's it's nowadays, it seems like it's so driven by, you know, independent creators being able to produce that kind of content. And, and rightfully so, the you know, any voice actors that get involved with that, yeah, it's more work for the resume, more work for the demo reel, and it's more, you know, more experience. And I think that's awesome that everybody, that there's more tools available and devices available 
uh, for people to be able to do that. And I think some of the challenges that come with that, too, are just like, you know, then people are kind of figuring out like proper payments and, you know, just like it it is hard because it's interesting. You mentioned like you're basically running your own business and that's what it Mm -hmm. is. I mean, um, I like officially registered my business, like legally, like started a company and stuff last year for my work. And it was like a lot of learning you know, even though I've been doing this stuff for so long, it was just a lot of like, wow, I have to learn about like accounting and invoicing and, you know, all this kind of stuff. It's like, we just want to act or we just want to create or, you know, whatever you want to do. But it's like, even if you're an artist who's doing commissions, it like, it doesn't matter. It's like, you have to kind of um, essentially learn how to be a business person. Yep. Right. And I think, I mean, because we're, we do it in, in a different angle where we're may we're mostly nonprofit for the most part. I mean, like I go to conventions and I do commissions stuff like that. But as far as the actual YouTube content, we don't actually we don't really try to monetize it just for the sake of like for the most part we were doing fan projects, so we didn't want to run into problems as far as like you know expectations money wise. And money's complicated essentially. But you know, I think fan projects and just these small independent projects are great. Hold hold on, give me a second. <sighs> Sorry. God. I think I heard pupper. <laughs> <laughs> Mine's snoring downstairs in the meantime. Aww. <laughs> My cats do that sometimes. Sorry Aww. about that. My dad forgot I was recording, so he was yelling at me. <laughs> and I'm like, oh no. Oh. Father, like, I hate, I just want to go back to LA when all this is over. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> what I was saying is um, I think fan projects, especially like, there's been a growth in, um, like, I think the Pony fandom is just, like, a good example of this, but it's a very flexible market for the most part. I mean, companies really aren't seeing being fan projects as much as they might have been maybe, like, five or ten years ago because they've discovered it's free advertisement. Like, I think of the, um, the Potter Puppet Pals because I know there was just, like, mm-hmm. Warner Brothers was, like, Gree, and then they had eventually changed their minds, <laughs> and I'm like... So, I don't know. I think it's just, like, an, instri- an interesting landscape that has developed over the, the course of the, the history of the internet, essentially. But yeah, I, I was just going to add a little something because I, I just see a lot of, like, discourse and debate about stuff, especially in the voice acting community, but I think in other sides of the creative community as well, where people kind of um, have this really negative mindset about fan projects and look down on them. And, you know, I, I think that... You kind of, yes, you do have to be careful because whenever it's somebody else's IP and this and that, you know, it's like people have to be careful not to maybe put that on like a professional resume if they're applying to a company or to say like that they are like the voice of this character, that character, whatever. But um, but at the same time, it's like there's something that's so beautiful and wholesome about people getting together and just creating content that they love. Mm hmm. You know, back when I was in the Homestuck fandom, we would do, like, a lot of just little, um, like, you know, the the whole comic is a lot of text-based stuff. So we would just do, like, readings of it because it's, like, there were no, like, official voices. There wasn't, you know, the audio stuff was just kind of, like, music generally. So we would just, like, mm-hmm. do stuff like that. And, yeah, it's not something you can really take to to a job and be like, hey, I did this. But it's something that's just fun to do with your friends. Yeah. Especially when you have a whole group of friends that are all passionate about the same thing. So, you know, you're going to get 
just that much more quality out of it, like excellent quality out of it, because, you know, everybody's just about as passionate about it as you are. So, and it's so cool to see how far everybody's come. Like, you know, I look at some of the friends I used to know from like way back when we were all on Tumblr or whatever, and I'm seeing them in these really big projects. And it's just like so exciting. Back in back in the day. Oh, my God. I have (laughs) (laughs) Lauren before Tumblr blew up. Have you read Homesick, Lauren, (laughs) just like randomly out of curiosity? Uh, I'm familiar with it. I haven't read it, but I know about it because I, again, Tumblr, <laughs> it flooded my feed. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> okay. So, um. So, I mean, I know about it. I just never read it. <laughs> so stepping back, a very basic question for people who are just like, how are cartoons made? Like, what are things? So like, Kira, what is a voice actor? Like, what is the daily, like, assuming, like. You know, it's a normal non-COVID situation. Like, what would you be your days if you were booked for a role? Like, you know, like, do you go in the studio? Like, how is anime different from just, like, other things? Like, describe your life, essentially. Okay, yeah, that's a super good question. So um, a lot of auditions now are actually done from home even before COVID just because Mm. um, a lot of the studios have really uh, crazy production schedules and they're trying to actually record their projects. So scheduling everybody and getting them in for like 10 minutes at a time to audition and, you know, other actors trying to make things work around their schedule and their own bookings. It's just like not super feasible anymore. So a lot of times they say like have at least something kind of decent to record from home now we've had to do actual recordings from home for safety and health reasons so it's kind of like everyone had to really upgrade their setup but um yeah generally we um if it's for an anime they might send a reference video so we can hear the voice in japanese and kind of get a feel for what that sounds like um sometimes they'll just send a script how much information we get when we're auditioning for something really depends because sometimes they're like oh here's a picture and here's an original voice reference and here's like you know like five or six lines to read from and then other times it's kind of like really really nondescript and you Mm -hmm. don't necessarily know what you're reading for it might be codenamed because especially with games things are so secretive these days and they're really worried about leaks so it's you know sometimes you'll read for something and just not even know what you're auditioning for unless you book it um but yeah generally um when things are in a more normal state of operating then we get in you know usually you're you're just auditioning for a bunch of stuff throwing it at the wall and you sort of try to forget about it and then if you get that email being like hey we want to book you for this thing then that's like a really cool surprise you know and um then usually they schedule a time you go in and you work with a director who kind of um you know just guides and shapes what you're doing And Mm -hmm. ADR or, like, anime dubbing, that sort of stuff. Because there's different types of dubbing. There's, like, um, I worked on a show called Miraculous Ladybug, which is a French dub. I've also done some live-action dubbing and stuff like that. Um, But it all works pretty much the same way. Um, You'll usually preview line by line. So you'll hear uh, what the original actor did in the previous language. And you'll look at the picture to see kind of how the timing's going to work. And it's a Mm -hmm. lot of multitasking because I meet people all the time online or who 
flood my mentions or whatever being like, you suck. Anybody can do dubbing. You're terrible. And it's like, you say that, but like you don't see what goes into it, you know? Exactly. I mean, and yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, but dubbing seems very complicated because um, not only do you have to kind of like have the same energy as the original character that you know, was in a whole different language, it's a whole different context, but the editors behind the scene were actually trying to match the lift flaps to, like, how you're talking, so it looks almost seamless, like it was, like, made, like, you know, purposely with your voice on it. So, I think it just, it just sounds very complicated, you know? Like, God bless the editors. Well, yeah, Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot of different people behind the scenes who kind of go into stuff because, you know, I think it starts because obviously you have like the translators who kind of like translate everything, but then you have like the ADR writers and adapters and their job is to write the lines so that it fits the animation that's there because you you can have something in Japanese that's like twice as long or only mm-hmm. half as long as what the translation would be. So then their job is to kind of write it to fit what the animation is, what the mouth is without losing the meaning. So, um, you know, that stuff's all done before we ever come on board as actors. And then, um, you know, you have the director whose job, because we record one at a time, which people don't always realize. So, um, then you have like the director who's kind of um, just guiding everybody to make sure that, um, you know, everything sa- will sound good when it's put together. And mm-hmm. um, then, of course, you have like the audio engineer and the mixer and they have a really important job as well, because like you mentioned, um, sometimes they do have to kind of like edit our voice lines slightly to make sure that it fits. Like normally if something's too long or too short, they'll just have us redo it and be like, okay, we got to speed up a little to match the picture or we got to slow down a little on this second half of the line or whatever it is. But you know, sometimes if it's a matter of, oh, you just need like slightly longer pause in between these two sentences, they can just kind of chop it up and move it so that it fits the animation better. Right. And um, I think, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but, like, for American shows, what sometimes happens is when it's, um, so most of the time it's shipped overseas, I'm not, um, it's shipped overseas, and when the the finished animation is shipped back, then sometimes the the lip syncing doesn't match the original voice line, so sometimes the actors will come in and redub some lines to to sync better with the animation. So, um... There's a lot of different reasons um, the actors have to basically come in and redub, but, you know, anime is a whole different ball game from what what I understand comparatively to um, when you have to do, when you have to redub for American shows um, generally. Yeah. (laughs) But... And I've worked on a couple, um, they call it prelay animation, and I've worked on a couple of those. And, you know, it was really fun, and it was a lot of freedom because we're not restricted to timing. So we can just kind of, um, you know, do the line how we would think. Because sometimes the acting isn't going to sound quite as natural or it's going to lose some of the intent when you're restricted to exactly what's going on on screen. Especially if, like, you know, there's a pause in the middle of the line that's not natural in English or, you know, something like that. But obviously it's like they can't change the animation, so we just kind of have have to roll with it but for a prelay animation we obviously do have a lot more freedom and another difference is a lot of times when I've done it they will actually bring actors in together because for games and for dubbing and stuff like that we all just record individually so we're not really hearing what other people did but mm-hmm. I worked on like a couple of kids shows I worked on Lego Friends and you mm-hmm. and Friends and in both of those situations, they generally brought all the actors of the main cast in together and let us play off each other. So that was fun. It's not really, like, feasible for other stuff, but for 
those kinds of gr- records, then group recording is okay. Um, it must, yeah, it must be fun kind of bouncing off each other. Does that change? Like, I mean, I'm sure it does, but like, how does that change like your own personal performance when you have someone like physically there versus just like in the studio by yourself all alone? <laughs> Well, one of the greatest things that I've ever been taught early on in acting classes was that acting is reacting. So um, everything that your character says, you're either reacting to something another character says, something that's going on in your environment. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're always like responding to something. So if you have another actor there, you can just respond to them like you would if it were a play or, you know, whatever. But um if you're doing it by yourself, you still have to react, but you kind of get the context elsewhere. Like, you know, I'll look at the line that's before mine in, on the script and see like, okay, I'm responding to this. Like you have to be really fast with it in your head because it's generally just all cold reading. So it's like, you don't get to like practice. You don't get to study the scripts. It's just kind of like you go in and they're like, okay, here's what you're doing today. And the director will explain, here's what's going on in this scene. And we just kind of have to go for it. So, yeah, I think it's a lot of, like, you have to make up context sometimes or, you know, maybe the director will tell you, okay, like, this is what you're responding to here or whatever. Right. Um, Will, like, the director sometimes cold read, like, someone else's lines so you can respond to them too? Like, does that happen? Not normally, but I've seen it happen a few times on, like, games or something where it's not um, something timed. Because for games, it really depends. Like, sometimes they will... What I see a lot in games is um, timing restrictions, but rather than matching mouth flaps specifically like you do in anime, it's kind of... Um, sometimes you might. Like, if it's a cut scene or whatever, then you have to dub to picture. But um, I've seen a lot of game sessions where they're like... For example, I do a lot of mobile games that were originally in Chinese, and then we do the English version. And so they'll say, okay, the line in Chinese is like 2.5 seconds, so you can be slightly under that, but you can't go over or something like that. Sounds yeah. complicated. Yeah, like um, comparatively, you know. <laughs> it's very technical, yeah. Yeah, comparatively a lot of times, um, especially for live action so- shows, sometimes for animated show, I think it depends on the show, they'll have a like a table read essentially where all the actors are sitting in the room and they're like, you know, have the script in their hands, and they're all, like, doing the episode, like, sitting down and, like, you know, reading off each other, which is, so this is totally different from that, so I think it's a different, you know, I think it's interesting because, like, I mean, you're kind of, like, comparatively just thrown in there and just, like, saying things versus the actor who has to, like, you know, memorize his lines and, you know, have to physically act, too, versus, um, you know, acting with your voice, essentially, so. Yeah, And I think both are really challenging in their own ways. Um, I personally don't think I'd be very good at doing on camera or stage acting. You know, I have a face for radio, whatever. But, um, you know, I feel a lot more comfortable just kind of acting with my voice. And that's what's always made sense to me or what I enjoy doing. Um, So I know some people are like, oh, it must be harder because you only have your voice to act with. But for me, I feel like, well, I couldn't do what on-camera actors do. So I think it's just kind of, there's a lot of overlap in the skill sets because acting is acting. You're still kind of embodying a character at the end of the day, but it's just different approaches, different styles. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's, you know, like, I I could never be an actor. I I don't think I'm built that way, but it's just kind of interesting trying to, like, get in the mind as far as just, like, day to day I don't know I'm, I'm rambling so I have to ask this and we'll keep it brief because everyone 
everyone has to ask this for every actor ever, but like, so how did you, um, how did you break into the industry? <laughs> well, um, one thing that's kind of always interesting about that question is, I don't know if anybody really has a definitive moment where they're like, yeah, I made it because it's constantly a journey, you know? So yeah. as I mentioned earlier, and as, as you know, I used to do a lot of stuff online, just kind of hobby work, fan projects, you know, whatever, you name it. Um, and was just kind of like learning as I went. So a lot of stuff was kind of self-taught. It was listening to other like accomplished actors who were, <laughs> who had like done way more than me who are already working and just sort of observing what they did. But I did take um, a couple acting classes early on, which really helped because it kind of reframed, you know, I went in, um, this is like a misconception that a lot of people have when they first decide they want to be a voice actor is they think it's all about like doing different voices and making your voice sound different ways and stuff. And that stuff can be helpful, but the biggest, most important thing always is just being able to embody the character and make it believable to tell that character's truth, essentially. So that's why I think it's always good to take some acting, even if it's not voiceover specific, it can be like a theater class, whatever, even if you're like, you know, you just want to do voice like I did. Um, it was just like a teacher in a general acting class that I took who was really like, okay, that's great that you can do this, but I need to believe you. I need to believe everything that your character is saying. I need you to be in the moment and to like feel this, and you know? So, um, yeah, I guess like that's, that's the biggest thing that I would mention. Um, Moving to L.A. was obviously a big step that I had to do because most of the work is here for that kind of stuff. Um, I feel like My Little Pony is one of the exceptions because that's done up in Canada. But, um, mm. you know, just a lot of the stuff is done in L.A. specifically, like a lot of video games, a lot of shows. Um, there's also Dallas, but that's a lot of anime specifically. Um, mm. I kind of wanted to do everything, which is why I chose L.A., because I was like, yeah, I want to do anime, but I also want to do video games. I also want to do, like, prelay animation, that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah, and, like, part of um, the, the inspiration of doing, like, this, this silly little podcast is kind of giving options for people that, you know, you don't necessarily have to be in L.A. to be creative and to do animation-like things. Like, yes, it's helpful, like... Yes, like, if you want to be professional, at the end of the day, you probably need to move here for the sake of um, the connections and to find these opportunities. But if you just want to do fan projects, if you want to just, like, do an animation with a couple friends, if you just want to do something remotely, then, you know, with the age of the internet, like, you, you have access to pretty much all the tools you need. It's just a matter of just, you know, doing it, essentially, versus just, like, waiting for someone to tell you. But Right, yeah. and the other thing, too, because I see people say, like, they they want to move to L.A. or they want to move to Dallas or wherever, and they say, like, oh, I think if I just move there, then I'll just, like, find job opportunities. But the thing is, you have to be ready because it's very, very competitive. So, you know, mm -hmm. you can move to L.A., but it's, like, if you don't have, like, a really solid professional competitive demo reel, you don't have, like, a resume, you don't have training, you don't have, um, you know, any connections with places, like, that's it's not going to work out most of the time unless you're really absurdly lucky, you know, because um, I'll have people message me all the time on Facebook or on Twitter or wherever and say like, hey, I was thinking about moving to L.A. and getting into voice acting. And I'm like, OK, um, what kind of acting training do you have? What um, do you have a demo reel? Do you have, um, you know, like a a website? Do, like, do you have like your professional marketing materials basically? And they're like, oh, no, I 
I don't have any of that stuff, but I can do voices. <laughs> and I was like, well, no one's going to, you know, it's like, would you, would you apply for like, um, like an art internship if you didn't have like an artist portfolio? Would you like, exactly. would you apply to like a modeling agency if you didn't have like professional photos? You know, it's like, um, you, you've got to have like, you know, you kind of have to research all this stuff, but because technology is so, um, it's enabled us to do a lot more things now. I tell people, you know, get involved with stuff like indie games. A lot of that stuff pays now. It might not pay as much as stuff in the industry, but it's like, there are people who make their livings doing stuff from home. There's people who do audiobooks that they record mm-hmm. from home a lot of times. Um, I, I run a site called The Voice Acting Club, and I wrote a lot of articles. I have resources, guides, that sort of stuff. Um, so that's something that I definitely recommend people look into. And also, you know, it's like they can just try it for fun, you know, just like record yourself just doing whatever. You don't have to post it online. You don't have to do anything you don't want to do, but just be like, oh, hey, let me look up, um, I don't know, you could take like a comic book character or something and just read like a few of their lines and just record it, you know, see how it sounds, get comfortable hearing yourself because most people aren't. (laughs) Yeah, and I think, um, I guess I'll add two things from my limited knowledge, but like um, the first thing is just like things I've heard echoed from actors giving other actors um, advice is there's tons of like, you know, old school theater programs and things like that if you know there's there's if you're still in high school maybe if you're still in college that are accessible and still just something to you know put on your resume essentially just you know because that's still acting training even though it's not the LA acting experience or whatever you oh absolutely and if someone does that or if they no longer have access to something like that and they're like hey I want to do voice in specific there are voice coaches who will do like Skype or Zoom meetings you know there's um you can do a lot of, especially now, even coaches who didn't offer like coaching or classes online before, they have to do it remotely. So it's kind of, um, it's getting everybody more connected. And, you know, obviously Mm -hmm. the pandemic is a really terrible thing, but I hope that something that can come out of it is maybe things won't be quite as Mm location-based. It's just hard to know. Yeah. um, WIA is really pushing for, you know, more opportunities for women who are maybe like, you know, maybe they just had a baby or something like that and they can't physically be in the studio, but, like, if they can still do storyboards from home or something like that, then, you know, those opportunities are still, maybe can be there. So I imagine, like, it's a similar thing for voice actors for this, you know, obviously you can't have a crying baby in the background, you know, if you have good equipment, but, like, (laughs) it's just general accessibility, um, which I hope is improving. Um, The other thing I was going to say, which, oh, um, I think it's, as a producer, I think it's really important too, as I've said this before, but like just having like something to show people essentially, like even if it's like, you know, just a demo reel of fan characters, you know, maybe you're saying that like, you know, pre-written lines or maybe you're like ad-libbing some new lines, like I recommend both from what I've heard, but you know, a lot of times, um, you know, in the, like, especially when it's, like, a little bit harder, like, a creative thing, like, an art thing, or, like, a background, or, you know, a storyboard, or whatever, like, people can say, oh, I can do this, I can do that, I can, I can give you the moon, but, you know, when they commit to it, when they have something to show, when they actually do it, that, that goes for a lot, even if it's not, even if it's not perfect, the fact that they're still committing to, to doing it, and showing you, and, you know, meeting their deadlines and stuff like that, especially if you're working remotely is, is just so important. Like, just please schedule it your time. 
Yeah, and about the demo reels, it it just kind of depends, I think, you know, what you need in terms of that just depends on what you're doing. If somebody's like, hey, I want to maybe be in a few projects on YouTube, then yeah, it would be totally fine to just kind of put something together on their own and maybe upload it and be like, hey, what do you guys think of this? Does anyone have any feedback? That sort of stuff. Um, if you're doing it to apply for like a lot of paid jobs, then, you know, it's kind of like certain standards, like there's like a certain length that has to be. And generally what people do is they hire somebody to write it for them or they, um, you know, hire someone to mix it together. I've done directing for people for like, not like, you know, the kind of reels that they'll send to like an agent or something really big, but for, you know, if they just want something to put on a website for indie projects and for kind of, um, you know, a lot of this stuff that records from home. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of um, equipment and recording from home, so I thought maybe two levels, like what would be a good you know, starter microphone or starter set um, set up for someone who like maybe wants to do this, but they're not sure. So maybe like a hundred fifty, two hundred dollar range, and then like what super setup do you have that like costs a lot of money? That's probably like like bomb proof, you know? <laughs> yeah. So um, you know, for just getting started, if somebody's really not sure if they want to do this, just like a USB condenser that people use for like podcasting and stuff is is fine because it's very easy to use. It's kind of um, you know, you just plug it into your computer. Usually there's not a lot of um issues or a lot of specific tech that you have to learn. It's just kind of like controlling your gain and stuff like that. Um, I do of course recommend getting a good pair of headphones because if somebody's just listening on like, you know, I don't know, like you just want something like studio quality headphones so that you can actually hear what you're making. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, you can get like a software like Audacity that's free or whatever. Now, um, if somebody has a little bit more money to invest, then um, I definitely recommend like still getting a condenser, but one that plugs into an audio interface with an XLR cable. So Mm. um, there are some that are, you know, probably like... $200, $300, I don't know. Like, I had an interface for about five years called the Scarlet Solo, and that handled a lot of what I needed it to do. Um, I just recently upgraded my audio interface to SSL2 by Solid State Logic, and that's like, um, it's kind of a newer interface on the market, but I have a lot of friends who work in audio and that's something that they recommended because they were saying like, hey, this is going to give you guys higher quality because what's considered high quality for like recording for a lot of just like at home narration kids learning like that kind of stuff that I just do independently it's not going to be the same for like maybe a big studio that we normally go in and they have thousands of dollars worth of equipment so I got that and then I got um a Sennheiser 416 which is like almost a thousand (laughs) dollars I got it on sale thankfully but it's like you know it's pretty crazy but um But another big thing to keep in mind, depending on how serious somebody wants to be about it, is the equipment is important, but even more important than your equipment is your recording space. So Mm -hmm. I have, um, it's like a fully pre-made booth. It's from a site called Vocal Booth, and it's pink, (laughs) um, because of course it is. But, you know, that's, like, a really big investment. Like, if you're getting a pre-made booth, it should be, like, you're already making money doing voiceover. You already kind of, like, have some sort of career path doing this. And you just need, like, really good quality for at-home clients. 
Um, in the meantime, a lot of people, if they have access to like a walk-in closet, they'll kind of use something like that or they'll put blankets up. There's people, um, there's something that a lot of voice actors know of called a PVC fort where they take like pipes and like put moving blankets over them. It's basically you want like a space that's not going to echo or reverb or have like a lot of, um, background noise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, for the people that are in between, I'll just I'll just plug what we use. Um, so real quick, so um, I have a Yeti and um, it's great. I've had it like for the mo- the majority of my YouTube time. I think they're like 150 and a pop filter and um, a twenty dollar isolation box. And I made Lauren buy an isolation box and like a decent microphone. Yeah. Like what you have a snowball, right, Lauren? Yeah, I have a I have a blue snowball and it's worked excellent for me. Like my the anything I put into Audacity, it, it, it turns out fantastic. So, and that, that doesn't cost you much at all. And it's very easily accessible. You can even get through Amazon. Um, and yeah, and Audacity is 100% free as a recording program. And uh, then there's also, obviously, if you go through programs that are, um, if you go through things that are in like uh, Adobe Creative Cloud or anything like that, yeah, that's when they start to rack up a little bit more. But you are gonna you get what you pay for though. So I mean, you know, it it, it that's just how it be. But but in terms of a microphone and and actually, let me think. With my headphones, I also got those off Amazon, and I I think I was just like looking around at like basically what would be, um, what was one the highest rated, and two what actually people were saying about it. I had to really really look for headphones, and I think mine are. Let me see what they are actually. They're they're Cowan headphones, um, and uh, just mind me putting them back on here. And uh, those are Bluetooth headphones. Definitely get those if you can, because then if you uh, if you record and you have a a cord wh- whacking around while you're <laughs> while you're trying to record stuff, it doesn't. Exactly you can hit people work. with it. So um, <laughs> yeah, smack smack your computer every time it glitches. Um, <laughs> Bad computer. Um, <laughs> But yeah, um, but yeah, like the the advice that I've just heard is like, just start small essentially and see like how often you use your your shit essentially. So if you're like everyone's always like, oh, I want to you know be a YouTuber, I want to be a voice actor, and they get like maybe not a thousand dollars worth of things, but like they get like a relatively expensive microphone, and they you know end up not doing that thing. So like you can just start small is. And you can always sell your old stuff on eBay if you end up upgrading, essentially. So, Yeah, yeah and if your, someone literally has papers. no budget, like especially for really young people still in school, maybe they can't really get a job yet or something like that. It's, you know, this is not a solution that will work for like actual projects. But if you just want to practice recording your voice, you can use an app on your phone, just like the the voice recorder app that comes with your phone. I mean, obviously, again, that's not like... It's not going to be good enough quality to send in for a project, but it can just, like, you can practice recording your voice even if you have no money whatsoever. Right, and you can probably mm-hmm. get feedback on things like your delivery and stuff like that, so. Yeah, that's that, that's a good suggestion. Um, let's see. So the next question, um, so what are your some some of your favorite projects to work on and or favorite characters to voice? Uh, fan projects or, like, actual important things 
Um, I well, was actually going to be curious because I'm, I myself am a fan of miraculous ladybugs, so I'm going to try and avoid steering it that direction. <laughs> oh, <laughs> too nice. Heavily. Well, yeah, I did have a lot of fun on Ladybug. I mean, I have a fairly small character, so she doesn't talk a lot and she doesn't show up in a ton of episodes, but when she does occasionally get an episode, that's definitely a blast. Um, I think probably my favorite thing to work on is video games, particularly mm. fighting games, because I'm a big fighting gamer. Um, I've always wanted, like, my biggest goal for the longest time was to be able to play a fighting game with my voice as one of the characters. I know that probably sounds really nerdy or silly or whatever, but um, one of the things really early on that I played was Soul Calibur 2, and I was always like, oh, man, I wish I could be a voice in Soul Calibur, not that I ever thought that it would actually happen, but then, you know, like, a decade later, I was two playable characters in Soul Calibur Six. so that is, like, what I count as one of my biggest accomplishments, personally. You played the long Living game. The dream. <laughs> yeah. I've actually been playable characters in four fighting games now, which is crazy to think. That's awesome. Um, any- You get to do all the noises, all the grunts. All screens. Yeah. <laughs> well, a lot of games actually have those because even I, I do so many mobile games and even for just like a lot of mobile games and stuff, you'll have like basic like, oh, here's an attack. Here's a getting hit or whatever. But um, I don't know. Just something about fighting games is, oh, that's so cool. I <laughs> <laughs> just imagine like people in the studio just pretending to be punched or like, oh, ah, you know. Um. Yeah. I mean, I tell people like physicalize and visualize it. Like if I'm... um you know, kind of mentoring actors who are just getting started or whatever. I tell them, like, I know it sounds silly, but it's like you're swinging a sword, then, like, kind of, like, make that motion. Imagine that's a sword. You know, if you're stabbing something, imagine what you're stabbing them with. Like, you have to have a really um, good visual picture in your head of what you're Mm -hmm. doing. And Mm -hmm. one of the upsides to something like anime is you see it. It's all right there on the screen because you're matching what's already been animated. Mm -hmm. But for something like a game, it depends. You don't always see visual when you're doing it. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, So, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, acting is like using your imagination. It's like playing pretend playing dress up whatever mm-hmm. when you're a kid right yeah i mean you're you're just oh, yeah. a grown-up you know you're a professional professional kid you know you can put that on your on people's <laughs> business cards <laughs> yeah and it's like i mean again like yeah to your point to have a strong uh like a visual picture a, a, a visual imagination i should say um to visualize what you're doing and what you're up against as a character um yeah it is it's 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 play pretend and uh but you get to and what i think what's even more fun about with voice acting is that you can go as hard as you want to on it it's like yeah. there there really isn't a limit as to what you can do um okay so next question and then we can kind of just um chill and and shoot the shit a little bit is um general like and obviously you can get as detailed or not as detailed as you want, but like, do you have, besides the things we've talked about, do you have any other general advice for people that want to become either voice actors or just, you know, regular actors as far as just imagining and, you know, just being present for their role? Yeah, well, aside from, um, you know, just getting acting training and kind of practicing or doing stuff online and this and that, um, 
I guess something that I would kind of tell people to think about is to always have some kind of plan to make a living and make income aside from just that because I think a lot of people assume that if you like get one big role you've suddenly made it like I have a big article about this but the thing is it's like once you get paid for that job you where's your next job going to come from you know so Mm -hmm. um it's less about whether or not you get like some big roles and more about the consistency of that work so mm-hmm. you know somebody who's not working on really prestigious projects but working on a lot of projects might actually be doing better financially than someone who did one really big lead role but not much else you know so mm-hmm. um I always tell people to just kind of I mean I know people don't like hearing like have a backup plan because they think it means like a failure or something but it doesn't mm-hmm. mean failure like I had day jobs for my first seven years in L.A., and a lot of people Mm -hmm. don't realize that. And I was still working. I was still doing voice work, but it just wasn't consistent enough for that to be my only income. And even now, even now that I'm a full-time voice actor, I still try to diversify my income however I can, you know? Mm -hmm. I, like, direct people on demo reels for indie stuff. Um, I used to do a few, like, classes, but, you know, I just feel like, oh, well, there's some people who have a little bit more seniority in the industry who offer classes that I'd rather point them to instead. Um, But, you know, just kind of, I guess, doing everything that you can to sort of constantly promote your your career but not in an obnoxious way I guess I, right. I I'm trying to get into more <laughs> casting like stuff like that um you know it's like I guess you really can't get complacent I think people just assume that if you get to a certain point everyone will just come to you for roles and yeah it is a nice surprise if someone emails you out of the blue and they're like hey I have you in mind for this character in a game I'm making or whatever but it's so much like just auditioning and auditioning and a lot of times you won't book what you audition for so you just have to keep trying you know it's I tell people because everyone wants to say like oh acting is so much rejection but it's not really rejection like if you and a hundred other people who sound like you are trying for the same part one person gets it does that mean like oh 99 of you are rejected and you're terrible no it just means like they chose somebody else like that's not a failure Mm -hmm. on your part yeah and I know it's Like, it's also never, like, for the most part, personal from my understanding. Like, unless the director knows you and just, like, oh, well, I'm going to open these auditions, but, you know, I'm leaning towards you because, like, you're my my friend's daughter. I I don't think, you know, people are just, like, I'm going to spite you because I hate your guts. Like, I think it just, it's a lot of, a lot of times it's based on the creator's own personal vision as far as what they want for the character or the role or, you know, just, like, what's going on in the environment and I think people don't really understand that as well as you know when you just move to LA like you we've talked about like that doesn't automatically mean that you know suddenly you're just gonna become a voice actor like from my understanding unless you know you create a show or something like that the people that um usually just have one role that they they work for is something that's like continuously being made over like long long periods of time like family guy or you know spongebob or something like that where you know it's been on mm-hmm. for like and then you have a really great job <laughs> that, you know that's not the majority yeah yeah you know oh oh to be tom kenny <laughs> tom kenny can just like walk into the room and he's just like it's fine guys i'm i'm tom kenny it's cool so like um i think him and Tara are probably like pretty all over the place it seems like but um tom kenny is the voice of spongebob oh, yeah. if you don't know who that is so now you know 
he's a, he's a, he seems like a super cool guy from um, seeing him one time from a distance at a convention. So <laughs> admiring from afar. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think he he also just lucked out. I think too because he got Rocco and then SpongeBob and then you know you can just like live off SpongeBob essentially. But. Um, I'm trying to think. Yeah, and there is a luck factor, mm-hmm. too. Like, it's, you know, it takes both. It takes mm-hmm. being really good at what you do, but it also kind of takes, you know, maybe it is being in the right place at, at the right time. Maybe a friend will happen to introduce you to someone who's, um, you know, like a casting director and you read for them and you don't book something, but then later on they have something that leads to something bigger. Like, you just never know. Yeah. And also just, like, you know, it does depend on also the the game or show or anything the concept of it has to be strong enough and that everybody works together to make it the strongest it can be and when it's executed and brought out into the public that you know that you know that the response keeps it going you know it's like keeping up that momentum because it's all one big machine moving together and most of the time you have no idea you know like um some stuff that i've worked on that i thought oh this is going to be really big it wasn't really and Mm -hmm. then you know I had no idea when I worked on Nier Automata that that would be like the defining game of my career I was obviously like oh this is really cool like I hope people like it but you know if you get too hung up on oh I hope this is popular it's like you're always going to set yourself up for disappointment so I'm just kind of like well I did a good I mean I had fun I liked what I did I hope other people like it and then it just like blows up you know and I mean I'm sure like even the actors who worked on My Little Pony were probably like oh cool we're working on this kids show for this like you know this established brand and then it like turned into something way beyond what they predicted oh yeah yeah i mean (laughs) just like having conventions for a singular show where voice actors were flying in mostly for their voice on a singular show is like it's still like unheard of like i don't know if like something like that can be replicated um i know they tried a little bit with steven universe like they had like that one steven universe con but i think you know it's good to know that it is possible and it just takes like another spark like another weird internet craze thing for it to come again but like you know it was just and star trek was the original like let's revolve a whole oh yeah yeah and that's still that's still a thing you know there's the big elliot not LA, Las Vegas Star Trek Con, where they like invite everyone who's ever done anything ever. But you know. <laughs> um, so I have a follow up question. Um, so what are some tips or like what are some good ways as far as um, networking and getting yourself out there? Because there's a million and five ways to network and you know, it's, it can be very draining because you don't really know who you're gonna meet at these like LA networking events. But like what are like mm-hmm. what is your yeah, what is some general advice that you would give if you're just trying to network or you're just like going to your first like voice actor networking event, you know, like is there someone specific you look for as far as like something they do, like a, a casting director or like do you have any other tips or general advice for that? Well, honestly, um I will just say that that is something that I consider a weakness of mine. Um, I'm very introverted and I, uh, you know, I'm not good at that kind of stuff at all. I feel like I'm a very awkward person and it's just something that I tend to avoid. Um, I do a lot of times if I'm like trying to pitch myself for a new job, maybe I will send an email or something like I'll look up, like say, oh, I really want to work with this um, 
this smaller company that does games, maybe I'll look for like a contact email on their site and I'll mm-hmm. introduce myself and say, here's a little bit about like what I've done. Here's why I'd love to work with you guys if you're looking, that sort of thing. And a lot of times you just won't get a response and, and it's like, okay. <laughs> but, um, you know, in person, I think it's harder. I guess, I don't know, something that I would... I don't have a lot of advice on what to do, but I do have advice on what not to do because I've just seen it go wrong. Oh, so many okay. Times. Yeah, that that'd be interesting. Please, <laughs> please tell away. And I think, um, yeah, I think the biggest thing of like what not to do is to be like really desperate or really annoying because I, I like to tell people it's like dating, right? If somebody like messages you twenty four seven or they're like, hey, can we hang out? Hey, can we talk to me? Hey, please respond. You know, there's a reason we make fun of stuff like that because it's like it makes us like not want to talk to that person ever again. So mm-hmm. I think there's some people who maybe in like social situations where there's going to be other actors or directors, they just try really, really hard to like brag and talk themselves up constantly and be like, and by the way, here's my demo and here's my business card. And it can be like kind of off-putting to people because maybe they just wanted to go and hang out. Maybe they didn't want it to be like this big, you know, it, it might be a little more appropriate at an event that's like specifically for networking, but there's people who do it in just kind of what's supposed to be like a hangout. And I think it's better to just be like, be chill, be like a a cool person and just be like a genuine person. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can talk a little about what you do and this and that, but it's like my friend gave me some advice that I thought was really good and stuck with me. And she said, be so good at what you do that people can't really ignore you because that's the other thing is like positive word of mouth. Like you, if you do your best on one job and you like try to be really easy for them to work with and this and that, then they might refer you to another job. They might, um, maybe that director is working on something at a different place and they can say, Hey, I know someone who would be good for this part. Like that's the biggest thing. I think I refer my friends for jobs all the time if I know that they can do it, but it's not because they're like sliding in my DMS every day. It's just because I'm like, hey, I know this person and they're really cool and awesome and I know that they can do this job or, you know, it might even be like a role that I'm up for, but I'm like, oh, but I know someone who would be even more perfect. Like, that's the thing. It's like, it is competitive by nature, but I would say that a lot of times people will like refer each other and Mm -hmm. like support each other. I think that's like something, you know, that I've noticed just like living in LA for like the year. I mean, like I've said, I'm not there now because of COVID and rent is expensive. But in general, um, people want to help people that they feel like they, they can do a good job that they're friends with, like on a, you know, friendly level. And, um, you know, like it kind of goes back and forth. If you recommend this person for this project that you think they might work out for then they'll probably remember you when, you know, if, if there's a reverse um, opportunity, essentially. But um, one of my um, mistakes, too, is I think just having my business card and being like, hey, I'm a person on the internet, you know, look at me, um, especially for things like YouTubing events, just kind of asking about the other person, I think, and asking what they do um, is also a, a key for for being genuine instead of leading with like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm John Smith. I'm the most important, you know, boss person in the whole wide world. Like people, it, it, it kind of like, even if you're not egotistical, it can feel egotistical for someone who doesn't know you. And, um, you know, I've had to kind of dial it back because I don't know what I'm doing. We all don't know what we're doing a lot of the time, but, um, 
you know, and just all. I think the, the rule of thumb is to be consistent mm-hmm. with your work and be nice. Right. Just to, like, mm-hmm. I, I think that's a, a recurring theme across all, all fields is that just don't be mean and be consistent with your work. Because, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, if you're if you're an, if you're an asshole and, you know, that will also travel around too. And even if you're great at what you do, people don't want to work with an asshole. They want to work with someone flexible that's going to deal with their creative bullshit, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah, just that. Um, and also maybe, like, when you're networking, try to ask about, you know, something that's not work-related. That also works a lot t- a lot of times, too. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, another just, like, really good passive way to do things is just follow people on Twitter, this and that, you know. Congratulate them if they have something cool going on. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, I know for me, it's like whenever I see people like other actors being really supportive and they're like, oh, like, congratulations. I'm so happy for you and stuff. Even if it's like a role that maybe they tried out for too, like, you know, we keep that stuff in mind or whatever. And, you know, and it's the same thing. Like I try, cause I know it's really easy to just, um, just kind of maybe click like on something and move on. But I try to remember to like actually tell my friends like, oh, like congratulations, or I'm really proud of you because we see so much negativity. Oh no. We lost her. I think she's she's trying to hook back on, but your oh, but the point does still stand because it is like um, you know it it has to do with you know building that camaraderie with people, especially in an industry where there may be a lot of people, but it's still a tight knit community because everybody's working with everybody constantly, even if it's from remote you know, remote yeah. places, you know, it's just everybody gets to know everybody at some point. <laughs> so and there is unfortunately, there's drama, there's negativity, you know, I don't think that goes away no matter what field you're in. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just gonna add to um, I think it also like something I've I've noticed that helps me is essentially with someone with, with a lot of just general anxiety, I'm sure most artist type people are like that is if you are going to a networking event, like bring a friend potentially one that might be interested mm-hmm. in you know the same thing you are so you don't feel like because you know when you're stuck in like a small room with like 50 people that you don't know and you have to awkwardly like you know inch your way into the conversation be like hi please you know please talk to me like i want to be involved in your conversation like having someone <laughs> to kind of help you break the ice or even like having you know you guys can talk to each other and then invite someone else who might be looking awkward you know in the middle of the room or whatever um exactly okay um i think um so another question i had as we're talking about this um i think you've talked about this a little bit before kira but like generally because we've talked about good things to do what are like some things that you've seen other people like do that might not be great ideas as far as like networking it might like isolate you know like people that are trying to help them like any like do not do's as far as just you know the industry and social media in general yeah there's a couple things and you know i'll preface by saying like i've made plenty of mistakes we've all made mistakes you know stuff happens um i think one of the big things that i've seen that a lot of people just don't know how to respond to and it's really awkward is when you message somebody that you don't know that well and you ask for like a referral or to be, um, you know, essentially to be given a job and kind of, okay, like I'll put it from my perspective. Like I have a hard enough time getting my friends who I think are really amazing and really deserve a shot somewhere. I have a hard enough time getting them an audition for something that I know they'd be perfect for most of the time. Mm -hmm. So if somebody that I barely know, like I don't, 
I don't know their professionalism. I don't really know if they're that skilled. Maybe they have a demo reel, but a lot of people can pay somebody like $1,000 to make them sound good on a demo, you know? And it's like, I just don't really have like a relationship with this person in any way. And they just messaged me being like, hey, um, I've seen that you worked on like this with this big project or this big studio or whatever. Can you just like get me in? It's like, I also <laughs> like, I'm just another actor, you know, like, and, and the other thing too is that when someone refers you, if it turns out that person's really not a good fit or they just don't know how to take direction or maybe they're just not ready, then it looks bad on me. And then if I do want to refer somebody in the future who's like, oh, this person is really good, nobody's going to take me seriously because I sent them people who didn't work out, you know? So yeah. um, I think a more appropriate way if some like, you know, if it's an acquaintance and you're like, hey, I really want to know how they did this type of work is to maybe be like, hey, do you have any advice on how to break into this type of work or um, – you know, I see you're with this agency. Do you know if they're currently taking submissions? Like, to not, like, outright ask them to walk you in somewhere. Um, I mean, it's it's one thing if you're, like, really close friends with somebody. You guys know each other's work and you're like, hey, like, no pressure, but would you feel comfortable doing me a favor sort of thing. But it's definitely not something to ask people that you barely know on Facebook or Twitter or whatever. Yeah. Um. And let's see. Um, I think another thing people do a lot is following up way too much. Like, you know, maybe they will submit their materials to someone who's like, oh, yeah, um, we don't have anything right now, but you can send your demo. And then a week or two later, they're already like spamming that person's inbox again, being like, hey, so I'm still here. Hey, do you have any work for me? And it's like when you think about if they're dealing with hundreds of actors on a regular basis, that's like so quickly going to be like okay we're just not going to hire this person again or we're going to filter their messages to spam you know it's like I could maybe see following up in like six months to a year but don't like do it all the time because that's really like I've heard of people who do like unsolicited phone calls or like walk in oh, somewhere yeah, yeah, and that's also just something that it's like <laughs> break down the door really do yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah if it's like a like an email like once in the once in a little while and just saying hey i was just asking how things are going like that's okay like once in a while yeah. but if you're gonna be spamming them every single day consistently for several weeks that's not okay <laughs> yeah or to like call the, you know i think something and also just to be mindful of the place that you're doing it like i think for example a place like linkedin an unsolicited message might be a little more welcome because people use linkedin specifically for business and networking but like mm -hmm. i've had a lot of people try to friend like my personal facebook account which i say like this is specifically for like my personal friends and family mm -hmm. otherwise you can follow me on twitter you can do whatever and then it'll say like we have like a hundred mutuals so i'm like okay i guess i'll accept this person and it turns out either they they send something creepy or like they just want you know they just want um someone to like hold their hand through everything and i don't know how to say that without like sounding snobby but i think that's another really important piece of advice is to kind of do a little bit of homework. Like, yeah. if you Google, how do I become a voice actor, there's a lot of really good information that will come up. Um, a very accomplished actor called D. Bradley Baker has mm -hmm. a site literally called IWantToBeAVoiceActor.com where he goes into a bunch of stuff. Like, there's so much information out there. So, you know, after that, it's like if somebody has a specific question that maybe they didn't find in their research, I'd be more than happy to be like, sure, here. But there's people who just message me being like, how do I get into voice acting? And I wrote a whole big article about that. But then they're like, 
I think a lot of people just assume that there's some easy, sneaky backdoor way in. And it's like, it's really not. There's a reason that every article about this is mm-hmm. a novel. Mm-hmm. Um, how I've heard it be described just about breaking into the industry is like, you, someone finds a door essentially, and then they block it up so you can't use that way anymore. So um, I think is one expression. Like I think the only one who, the only thing that you like you get to do if you um, just make it essentially is that like you know a little bit of nepotism going on where you know like your 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 dad's like the director of the show or the the showrunner or something like that, and you know he's just like well. I'll give you, you know, if you want to be an actor, I'll let you be an actor on my show. But I don't think that happens that often. Yeah, I feel like it's different now. Like, um, I like to talk a lot about voice acting for video games because back in the day, um, there were a lot of games where it was just like, oh, the novelty is that the characters say anything at all. The characters talk. woo, So they would get like maybe like people who worked in the office or just like random people off the street or people's family members to do the voices. And it just mm-hmm. like obviously really was not like professional sounding or high quality or anything. Um, but, you know, now it's like, there's a lot of attention paid to having proper voiceover most of the time. Like, you know, they might do an audition process of hundreds and hundreds of actors. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember at one point, I think it was, I remember I was a little kid. And I did go, I did have some opportunities to like do voice acting auditions. Uh, and uh, I do remember going in for what was eventually going to be Dumbo 2. And that never ended up coming to be. I think they probably made it through, like pre-production maybe, and then it got asked. yeah. And then and then <laughs> and then Lassner is just like nope. And that was probably a good call. <laughs> yep. No more. No more straight to DVD sequels after that. Um, <laughs> so it was. Uh, but but yeah, I remember going into that, and it was just like even just for that opportunity, it was cool. And yeah, it's just it's really just going for all, any and all of those opportunities when you have that chance and but what, again with like going back to independent projects is that now more than ever you can be able to do that from home and being able to connect with other voice actors also from home and uh, just you know through the internet through social media through all of that and uh, yeah but I think it's it's great that we can have that those kind of experiences and it's you know as hard as it is to kind of like break into the into the bigger studios and stuff like that into and into bigger productions like that um it is good to know that building up to that point is is still something that you can manage to do and even do on your own but uh yeah but yeah it's just like yeah i'm i'm i, I would love to get into more voice acting myself on my end <laughs> yeah but, you should um, totally go for it and another thing I tell people too is like don't be too picky because I see people who are starting out and really don't have a lot of credits and they say stuff like well I just want to play leads or I only want to be in this type of project it's like cool we all want to be <laughs> like welcome to any actor ever but there's a whole supporting cast on any show that has to be filled out and you know kind of how I try to approach it because of course sometimes we audition we're like oh I really want that character and sometimes I get it which is a really nice surprise but um you know I'm even if they just want to bring me in to play extras in the background or whatever to fill out a bunch of different like NPCs I'm just happy to work I'm just happy to be thought of and considered because a lot of people aren't being called into that project at all you know so if they bring you in for anything if they're hiring you for a job consider that a win yeah 
you still get paid by the hour anyway. So the only, <laughs> the only reason you're going to get like paid more if you're elite is because you're probably doing more hours. Yeah. Okay. So um, follow up question. Um, and then and then we'll kind of um, relax a little bit is um, so when people maybe not you specifically, but when, um, you know, people who are for Internet projects are, you know, contacting like, um, you know, other actors, whether it be like professional voice actors or just fandom people. Um, what you, what advice do you think as far as like wording their email like appropriately? Do you have any like insight as far as that? Like to sound like they take the project seriously that, you know, they're somewhat professional in their nature, even though it is like some fan project or maybe some independent project, um, something like that. Yeah. So, um, I would maybe just kind of give a little intro, a little background on the project. Um, it doesn't have to be anything too crazy. Like you don't have to write like the entire life story or, you know, synopsis that could be off-putting for people, but just kind of like maybe for example, Hey, um, I'm currently, um, have been writing an indie game and this is kind of the basic premise. It's like a dating sim and we have like, um, you know, let's say like these five different main characters you can choose and they each have like their own stories. I had you in mind for this character. Here's a little bit about her. Um, was curious to see if you'd be interested in auditioning. Um, because I think that's like another big thing is just to be like, is this something you would be interested in so that they don't feel like pressured? Um, you know, I've, had a couple of really weird emails in the past where people just said like hey um do this for me here's a script and I'm like well I didn't agree to do this like in one case it was something I could not do because I was involved in the official project and I'm like I can't like contractually I cannot do this and they're like well this and this and this and I could not credit you and he just like kept persisting and and I'm like I can't do your project like I don't know what you want me to tell you like here I'll give you resources to find people or whatever but um you know I think just kind of being like hey is this something you're interested in and um you know if if you can maybe include like information on the pay rate if it's like a you know, if, if you're approaching people who, like, mostly do voice acting for a living, unless you're, like, a personal friend of them, it's probably best to um, only come to them if it's, like, something you can hire them for. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, or or if you don't know, you can maybe ask, like, oh, could you, like, give me a quote on this and stuff? But if it turns out, like, the quote's too high or something, you can either try to negotiate or you can just be like, oh, I'm so sorry. I don't think that that's within my budget right now. But um, but thank you anyway, you know, because there's people who get, like, really defensive and be like, well, I can't afford that or this or that or, you know, demand that you lower it. And I've seen them do it with artists. I've seen them, people do that with, like, um, commissioners for cosplay stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of like... It's totally fine if somebody's prices just aren't within the budget, but don't be like a jerk to them about it, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'll, I'll also add too, um, from my experience anyway, that, you know, as long as you're professional and, you know, obviously like we've given this advice in the past, but, you know, have something to show the person you're pitching the project to. Yes. Oh my God. So like there's... Yes, so many people want to cast way too far and like they're like... They don't even have scripts. They don't even have visuals. They don't have anything. And it's like, well, this is like, especially for games, voiceover is one of the last things to be added. Mm-hmm. And it's like, if you don't have any visuals, especially just like some, because I mean, sometimes the visuals do dictate how 
how voice acting will be because you have to well i mean not sometimes a lot of the time because you have to think if this is going to be like for example you have somebody in like i have this huge monster i need to have this big gruff growly voice like if you don't have the proper visual to go with that how you know if you're going to get the right voice coming out of that so it's like oh yeah i rely so much on the visual when i'm coming up with a voice yeah so it's like you gotta have it very cemented concrete idea even if some things will change over time it's just like just something to pitch something for people to go off of because if you have no foundation for what you want to go I don't know I just have a log line like build off that log line and come back with more material before you start jumping the gun on people <laughs> yeah um and also just you know make sure to proofread your email and stuff mm-hmm. yeah um it also helps to like grammar is magic yeah if you're doing <laughs> if you're doing fan projects specifically it helps if you know, or something of that like. It helps if you have, like, you know, a preview of some, maybe not that specific project if you, you know, want to wait, like, if you want to wait till it's for the demo line or whatever the case. It helps if you have just something to show the the, the potential actor or actress to prove that you can actually get stuff done. Like, so this has happened a lot to me, and I'm sure it's happened a lot to you, Kira, because you've been doing this a lot longer than me, is people will, you know, for fan projects specifically, people will ask you to, to to do stuff, and then, you know, like, my mistake was, like, okay, I'll do your lines, and then I never hear about it again. And so, you know, like, now, you know, I charge if people want me to do voice voice lines or whatever um, for their, their own things, like, not that I'm particularly, like, about that, but... You know, if, you know, if, if this never sees the light of day, you know, no harm, no foul, essentially. So. Yeah, and that's the biggest thing for nonprofit projects, because I think um, way back when, like, me and so many people that I knew were just doing, like, volunteer work on the Internet for practice or whatever, that was one of the most frustrating things when you record, like, 80 lines for somebody and then they just never make the project. Because now, if that happens... You know, it's disappointing, but it's not a big deal in the end because I still got paid for my time. I still got paid for what I recorded. So it's kind of like, yeah, it sucks that the project was scrapped, but at least I got paid for my work, you know. But especially if you're asking people to volunteer for something, um, you know, be at least pretty sure that you want to do it. Obviously, things happen. Sometimes it's beyond your control if a project gets canceled. But, you know, just try to make sure that it's work you can actually use mm-hmm. um what else i feel like there's something i'm missing um oh and i guess like another thing too is um maybe try to give a heads up on content warnings on the project because i know like every actor has their own different comfort level like mm-hmm. i'm you know i've traditionally been pretty comfortable with a lot of things i'm like it's just my voice whatever but for example there's some people where maybe if there's like suggestive content in it they might not feel comfortable recording it or you know you just don't want a situation where down the line you have to recast somebody because they're like well i don't want to voice that scene or oh i didn't realize that this project had this type of content mm-hmm. or whatever yeah that's a that's a big mistake i've made in the past is not being expli- explicit as far as um you know, not that I've done anything and a safe or not safe for work or anything like that, but and I think it also gets the actor like more excited if they have like context too as far as what is happening, like as well as their comfort mm-hmm. level. Yeah. 
And sometimes they'll still be totally fine with doing it, but maybe they want to be credited under a different name or not credited at all or, you know, whatever. So <laughs> there's so many of those like those movies that, uh, you know, the ones that end up on, you know, Phalus's channel or anything like that on YouTube, the ones that have like all these like smaller productions where all of these voice actors they say go uncredited when really I think it's like some of them were like, okay, I did that, but you know what? I, I don't want my name on that. <laughs> I did what yeah. you asked me to, but please don't put my name on it. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, I just like flashbacks about. Um, so um, this is kind of so a little bit irrelevant, but I think, um, Kira, were you the Twilight cast for like Journey of the Spark or whatever? Oh, you know, it's hard to remember because that was so long ago that I, because I, I know I did a lot of those projects, but it's just hard to remember specifically which ones that I did or didn't do. Okay, because that was just the example that came to mind where um, essentially someone is being too ambitious with an idea. And then, um, like, so mm -hmm. the idea, the pitch was a full length My Little Pony fan um, fan movie, like a two hour feature movie, like, I think, like third or fourth season um yeah that sounds vaguely yeah familiar. so but um i can i can look it up any i can look it up later but like um and and i was always like hesitant because you know i i know how hard it is to like get you know a 20 animation done from start to animatic to finish um so the fact that you know they were just like we're gonna do it, and then they ended up doing it. It's just like it's just. I just feel bad for the all the voice actors who had to record like, you know, good like, you know forty five hour chunks of audio that you know never see the light of day. So yeah, just know what you're doing essentially. Um, well, it's also possible that the people didn't actually record that much because I know there's some things where it's just people do a little bit of dialogue at a time, like. You know, oh, here's the first script, or here's the first yeah, that's fair. episode, or or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um. Okay. So last question. Um. Before I round it out. Um. So what is your favorite Bowie song? Oh <laughs> yes, I approve of this question. Um, I love so. Maybe many, give people background I mean, I about how much you love Bowie David Bowie. <laughs> Yes. Um, so David Bowie is kind of like my biggest creative inspiration of all time. I just adore him. And he, I don't know, his music just is something that always makes me happy. Um, to be like super real talk, I struggle with depression. So, you know, I think it's important to kind of have like those um, songs that you can listen to or, or something that like kind of puts you in a better headspace when you really need it. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of people think... Oh, like they maybe know five songs by Bowie because it's the same ones that play on the radio all the time. And those are good songs. But the man had five decades of music. Mm -hmm. um, so my favorite Bowie song is from what's actually one of his most popular and iconic albums, The Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders mm -hmm. from Mars. But the song itself is like one of the most underrated tracks on the album, in my opinion. It's just called Star. And mm -hmm. I love this song i don't know why i can't really explain it it's just something about it that i don't know it's the way it makes me feel i guess yeah and and plus i i feel like it's you, you just can't go wrong with with somebody like david bowie and he was he was so just when you have you know these stars in our in our celebrity realm and it's like he 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 was kind of like one of those it was like with prince you know where you have these creative geniuses that they just kind of were uh, 
their talent just far exceeded what anybody could have ever expected of anybody. And, and it just, you know, it transcends, you know? <laughs> right. And, you know, it's like also David Bowie was not afraid to be himself and mm-hmm. to, you know, be kind of out of the ordinary. And I've always felt like I'm, you know, kind of been shamed, especially growing up for being kind of weird or, you know, whatever. And, he helped me kind of realize that it's not necessarily a bad thing to be different from an everyday person or, you mm-hmm. know, to do your own thing. Um, and then just from a totally shallow standpoint, <laughs> super hot. <laughs> I mean, no lie there. <laughs> Lauren really likes the Beatles, so, like, you know, it's, it's you know, kind of similar you're preaching to the choir of the of the rock stars um, here. I think that's besides like the hot thing is great, but I think the other thing about you know being okay <laughs> with being kind of odd because I think that's just the artist's like mo in general is a good note to end on. So, um, thank you so much, Kira, for your time. Um, you've been great. Um, you're a good friend. I like you. Um, hopefully, when I'm back in LA, we can all hang out and like get some get some yeah. caffeine because I know that's like a thing that you like. To yes. Do. <laughs> The best. You do like caffeine. Well, thank you like so caffeine. much yeah. for having me. Yeah, have a have a coffee. <laughs> we'll toast. We'll toast. Yeah. Like, whatever you know. Whatever. Like, but what boba or whatever people get in L.A. <laughs> I didn't know what boba was until I moved to L.A. I'm still an espresso girl at heart. I mean, if you all remember when I had an OC pony, the the cutie mark was <laughs> an espresso cup. <laughs> like that has not changed. I think you learn her birds of a feather then, um, and. You know, it, for, if, in case you all, um, in case anyone cares, um, Kira, if I ever need to Twilight, which probably won't happen as much anyway, because, like, we don't really do pony content anymore, I always ask Kira. She's, I'm always flabbergasted with how easy she is to get a hold of, especially for fan project stuff. So, like, thank you for being a good guest, but also a good working partner person and, like, overall a good person. Oh, yeah, you're a friend, so, you know, I'm... <laughs> I'm always down to do stuff for you if it's something I'm able yeah, to do at yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah, I'm you know glad to include you in my my fun my fun things I do on the internet. But um, thanks all, f- thank you for <laughs> listening to this episode of Animation Communication. Kira, where can people find you if they want to stalk you like appropriately? <laughs> um, mostly on Twitter. My Twitter is just my name. I do have an Instagram at Killer Coffee Queen. <laughs> And then I have, like, a Facebook business page. If anyone wants to look me up, it's under, like, Kira Voices, Okay, um, so you can go follow Kira. Um, we follow each other on Twitter. Um, it's it's Nito. Uh, I think that's it. We have new episodes every Wednesday, 6 a.m. on, like, Spotify and stuff. And then, like, later on for YouTube. Any other plugs, Lauren? Because I can't think of any right now because I'm tired. Um, any links we'll provide uh, uh, to Kira's work and her and her because uh, you have a, a website where you've been blo- uh, writing blogs and, and articles and stuff like that, correct? About voice acting. Yeah, and, and that one is just uh, voiceactingclub.com. We also have a Discord server. I'm one of the admins, but we've got a whole team there. And it's like kind of where people can not only maybe post 
projects for creative collaboration or audition for projects like that, but also kind of ask about equipment, ask for feedback on stuff, or just yeah, chat. Yeah, so if you're into voice acting, um, I think here is the person to talk to you as long as it's appropriate, but do your homework first. I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, thanks again, Kira, and um, please watch, if you're new to the podcast, please watch some more. We work really hard on it. Um, you know, we, <laughs> we, we work hard on it, but yeah, um, and I'm sure I'll have Kira back when we... Um, want to do some charity stuff because charity is always good we'll, we'll go save some cats or something yeah. so <laughs> yes <laughs> all right bye everyone see you next wednesday ideally so good night everybody care thank you so much for listening to animation communication on youtube spotify or your favorite podcast provider we are really hoping this show makes a difference in how people view animation and media as well as giving and providing advice for people all over the world who like or want to join the animation or media industry. If you liked what you heard, please remember to subscribe and rate those five stars, as well as tell your friends. Don't forget to subscribe to our main YouTube channel, I Love Kim Possible A Lot, and turn those notifications on. My name is Scribbler, and you have been listening to Animation Communication. Animation Communication